thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. It's time to kick your shoes off, put your heels up, and listen to how to live your best barefoot lifestyle with your host, the barefoot podiatrist, Paul Thompson. Hello and welcome back to the Barefoot Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, the Barefoot Podiatrist. And in this episode, I have me with Nick St. Louis from the Foot Collective. He's the founder of the Foot Collective. If you don't know who the Foot Collective is, you've been hiding under a rock. They, <laughs> they have got to be you know, one of the biggest education platforms when it comes to uh, barefoot, um, or barefoot movement, barefoot health. Um, so yeah, if you don't know who they are, <laughs> jump off this, check them out, and then come back and listen in. Ten uh, is a wealth of information, and I'm excited to to have you on the uh, on the podcast, Nick. Cool. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thanks for that intro. Hopefully, I can uh, do it justice. <laughs> <laughs> this is well overdue. We had a chat. I can't believe it's been like nearly two years since we've actually yeah. chatted properly. It's just time has gone that fast. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So. To kick us off, if you can just, how did you get started? So you're a physiotherapist by training, but that's your degree. Um, your master's is in physiotherapy. How, how did you go from like physiotherapy to now running one of the leading platforms in barefoot health? Like, did your physio training set you up for this? Or has this been a journey you've kind of evolved uh, on your own? Tell us the story. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've told the story a lot of times and it's, you know, every time I kind of take a different approach, but um, physio training definitely didn't prepare me um, for having any understanding of the value of going barefoot or of foot health in general, actually. Um, that was sort of part of what peaked it, you know, the lack of understanding I had coming out of what I thought was a, uh, you know, a deep understanding of health when it came to feet really is what stimulated my own curiosity to kind of go along the learning journey independently of anything I learned in school. And, you know, social media was really just a way to share that learning journey as I was going through it and the realizations I was having and the conversations I was having with patients and other people. Um, so it kind of came from the realization that, you know, pretty much everyone I treated in the clinic had foot problems. Uh, regardless of whether they were coming in with foot problems or not. But when I started to assess people barefoot, I was like, wow, everyone's feet are messed up, including mine. Um, and, you know, that sort of led me to try to understand, like, how do I convey the importance of feet, right? Like feet are these dirty, stinky things no one talks about. We cover with shoes. Um, they only stink because of the shoes, P.S., you know, for anyone listening. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of was like, all right, well, I think feet are important. There are foundations. They're not talked about, which automatically makes them more important because it tends to be kind of the rate limiting step because they're not getting any, um, any, you know, any media coverage, so to say. And so, yeah, kind of started with that and was a deep rabbit hole. And the more I learned, the simpler it got in my mind, where it was like, you can go into the deep nuanced complexities of foot mechanics, but at the end of the day, like if you don't wear shoes that mess your feet up, you have pretty good feet. <laughs> um, and so then I kind of realized like, wow, that same mindset holds true with a lot of other elements of health where you kind of like go really deep, try and 
under go into the rabbit hole, understand the the like deep understanding, and then come back out with sort of the ability to convey it, hopefully in simple terms, um, in the form of principles that everyone can apply in their own life, right? Like not prescriptions of like you need to do this for this injury, but just saying like, well, these injuries shouldn't be happening, and here are some of the major causes. And so, since then, it's been a wild wild journey of connecting with other people in the barefoot space, like yourself, um, and just into like a really big appreciation for the uh the experiential element of learning about health um and i think you know living a barefoot life to me means way more than just not wearing shoes it means you know living naturally living in alignment with our biology and what our human physiology is built for um and that seems to be sort of a sentiment shared by most people in the community of humans who who uh you know are all about taking your shoes off once in a while and wearing human shoes is that they they take a a macro view of health you know they're into growing their own vegetables they're into eating real food they want to be connected with community so um it's been really cool to just sort of integrate with this group of people i never knew existed that are actually talking about health um instead of just disease and symptom management so, yeah it's funny you say that about that type of person you know that um will look at that macro view of health because even i find people that maybe have had no they've never looked at a more holistic approach when you start explaining foot health to them and you know the importance and benefits of getting their shoes off quite often that sort of starts that journey for people looking more holistically anyway it almost brings on that they start looking at diet looking at the exercise they're doing how they're spending their weekends it's kind of funny how it does all end up tying in to that holistic approach to health anyway. <laughs> Pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. So stinky yeah. feet and shoes. You touched on that. What's let's uh let's go there for a second. <laughs> sure. For the people who who are questioning that, because there is a big myth that bare feet is dirty and you know feet are stinky. Why do stinky feet come from shoes? Yeah, I mean um you know we I live in Canada and for a big part of the year when you go outside um you have to most people wear gloves right they put these things on their hands and i remember the probably the stinkiest piece of equipment i've ever smelled are i worked for a hockey team for a while and the gloves they wear reek and so you know they stunk even worse than even worse than shoes or even worse than feet and so i realized like you know hmm, if you put a body part in a confined space and combine it with heat and friction um, it kind of makes it a really warm, welcoming place for bacteria which and, and fungus, which stink. And so I kind of realized, like, well, our hands don't normally stink, but these gloves reek. And when hands come out of those gloves, they also stink. And so, you know, I just kind of had this epiphany where I'm like, I don't think it's actually feet that stink. I think it's the fact that if you put anything in a confined environment that harbors heat and friction and doesn't allow any breathability, um, then and especially moisture, then it's going to stink. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time barefoot. My feet don't stink. When I wear the same pair of shoes that don't breathe for a long period of time, both the shoes and my feet stink. And so it's not actually the, sh the feet that are the problem. It's, it's covering them with a piece of clothing that doesn't breathe and facilitates the stagnation of like moisture and heat. Um, and it's a really, you know, I, I remember having a couple patients that like you ask them to take their shoes off so you can see what they're, you know, what's happening at the foundation. And they're like, mm, I can't take my shoes off. I'm like, I can't 
help you with your feet if you don't show me your feet yeah. and you know they were just they, they were embarrassed that their feet stank and once they realized you know they they almost never took their shoes off because they were um you know self-conscious of the fact that their feet didn't smell great and once once i kind of conveyed the fact that it's not actually your feet that stink it's keeping them in shoes all day that makes them stink or wearing shoes that don't breathe um then you see the light bulb go off in their head and they're like shit I've been, I've been living a lie this whole time. And those are the people that spend less time in shoes. And sure enough, their feet don't stink as much. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big misconception out there. And, uh, and you know, one that took me a while to learn as well. Yeah. I still have people argue with me on a daily basis about that. Some people find it quite hard to get their head around the fact that shoes can, can do the opposite of what they think. They think shoes are helping protect their feet and keep them, safe and all these things and and you start pointing out some of those simple like that you know like it makes sense right you wrap anything up it's gonna smell (laughs) yeah like shoes are like the ultimate paradox i've realized it's like the things we use to under the guise that they're protecting our feet are actually damaging our feet Mm. and you know like one of my favorite analogies to make is like okay if i'm you know, using a chainsaw, I'll put protective eyewear on so I can still see through the eyewear so that I can see what I'm doing. Um, and they protect my eyes from getting stuff jammed into them or stuff flying into them. Um, and eyes are an important sensor, right? Like they're pretty, it's pretty beneficial to have eyes that work like they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is that feet are also a really important sensor. They're like a, a really primary sensor to feel the the world around us so that we don't have to always be looking down at our feet to see what's up. And, you know, the equivalent of what most people do when they wear shoes would be like wearing um, protective eyeglasses that you can't see through that have spikes digging into your eyeballs. It's like, you're just like, it, it makes no sense. And that's kind of what shoes are doing. Like the shoes that people wear to protect their feet are blindfolding their foot sensors uh, and actually deforming them over time. And so it's this weird paradox where it's like, I wear shoes to protect my feet, but the shoes are actually damaging my feet and not letting my feet be feet. And sometimes when you throw that at someone, it's like too much to handle initially. And they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've lost the part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't yeah. do it to any other part of the body, right? Like, exactly. Like you said, the eyes, hands even, you know, like you, like you wear a glove. Yep. And when people try on gloves, and depending on what they're using it for, how much warmth they need, but typically you're trying to find the thinnest glove you can right. that will suit that purpose. You know, I mean, you look at medical practitioners that wear like latex-type gloves for treating people. Like, yes, they're protecting you to a certain extent, but they're not protecting you against, like, really, if you're trying to protect your hands properly, you're going to need some sort of metal to stop sharps going through, right? But we don't do that because then you lose all that sensation. You lose the ability to to have that dexterity with your hands. But yeah, like you're mm. saying, the feet we just lock them up. We, we, take, <laughs> we yeah. take away take away any sort of feedback they're giving us with the theory that it's protecting us. But you said before, um, you know, you, you were treating a lot of foot problems uh, early on, and you were sort of seeing these patterns kind of evolving and sort of and sort of working out these principles for foot health. Can you tell us about some of these kind of patterns you were seeing pop up with some of these foot problems you were having and some of the principles you were starting to, to I guess, get out to patients to start working on better foot health? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the fundamental things that, you know, all patients pick up stories throughout their lives, right? And a lot of times those stories come from medical or health professionals. And it seems like the stories that those people with the degrees tell have a significantly higher weight in, in, in people's minds. And so one of the first things that I would often talk to people about is, is like trying to find out like what story does this person have right now? Because if I'm mm-hmm. saying things that go counter to their story, we've got to talk about their story first and maybe update that story so that they have a new framework for understanding, you know, the stuff we're going to talk about. And I think most people have been told the story that the body is this flawed thing, that it breaks down and that you're going to have to go get fixed and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that story is largely bullshit and it's not challenged enough. And if you challenge that, people become radically open-minded to um, trying new things, right? And, and, you know, one of the things I would talk to people about, and I, I because I work pretty much full time, um, you know, leading PFC and thinking about the bigger decisions now, I haven't actually been in clinic practicing one on one with people for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But even when I did, you know, one thing I'd always talk about is that the body adapts to what you expose it to. So, you know, people always say, oh, I'm not in good shape. And I would always say, well, you're in the exact shape you should be in based on what you do with your body, right? And if you change what you do with your body or, you know, change the inputs you're giving your body, and that can be through, you know, the positions you adopt, the food you eat, the, you know, the, the things you consume, the media or the, the people you're around, whatever it is. If you change the inputs, you then create a new, um, a new stimulus to adapt to. And so if you change, your body changes. And your body's also this magical self-organizing system that knows how to be efficient. Um, and it's also a self-healing organism. Like people, I, I think even myself, I'm constantly amazed that when I cut my finger and the skin separates, the skin heals. That's crazy. Just that alone is yeah. crazy. And I think I come from a cell biology background, so I kind of know some of the machinery under that. But like we take that shit for granted and it's amazing. And we just have to trust that like, your body's got this. Make sure you're giving it the right stuff. It knows exactly what to do. It's not going to let you down. If there's something wrong with it, it's not your body's fault. And just mm. that notion that it's not your body's fault, it's not your feet's fault, um, it's, you know, it is very powerful to, you know, if people really adopt that, truly adopt that as like, um, okay, well, this is a new story. Then they all of a sudden take so much responsibility back because now it's just a matter of them experimenting with different inputs. And then being mindful to how that's changing their body. And so some of the patterns that I would see, um, you know, number one, once I had an idea of what a natural foot looked like, which looked nothing like my feet at the time I learned that, which was kind of a shock, like the cognitive dissonance of spending a ton of money on a degree, thinking you're now the knower, um, and then having your world rocked, realizing that everything you know is like, doesn't reflect reality and what actually works in in reality or has nothing to do with health just symptom treatment like i wish they would have called physical therapy like you're getting a degree in symptom treatment because i probably wouldn't have gotten that degree i was like i I probably would have rather a degree in health lo and behold it doesn't (laughs) exist (laughs) yeah um it doesn't exist yet we're working on that but um you know I, i started seeing these patterns when people came in so once i learned what a natural foot shape is where the foot is widest at the tip of the toes the toes aren't touching or or, or like overlapping their legs splayed out, um, I realized, well, everyone's feet have been deformed by something. Like, why doesn't anyone have natural feet? Uh, why doesn't anyone have human-looking feet? And I realized pretty quick that it's because they're wearing shoes that aren't shaped like feet. Therefore, their feet start to become the shape of the shoes. Um, you know, I noticed that 
people had a really hard time balancing on one foot and their foot didn't know what to do. It was kind of freaking out, right? Instead of the toes engaging the ground, the actual toes were extending because they're trying to seek stability from everywhere, including toe extensors, which is opposite of what you should be doing, right? You should be like getting contact and all those little tentacles that help with your balance. And, you know, I realized that people who had serious hip dysfunctions, that would often materialize at the foot very obviously. Their foot would collapse. Um, their foot typically was all like, it just wasn't shaped in a way that facilitated stability at the foundation. Um, I also noticed a lot of correlations where it was like, okay, people with foot, with feet that weren't doing what they're supposed to also frequently came in with hip, low back and knee problems. So it's like the whole lower body system, you know, the feet were a really good indicator for problems there. It didn't tell you exactly where the problem was, where the focal area was. And often it was a multiple system problem. Um, but you know, I always tell people, it's really hard to tell people what to do, but it's not that hard to tell people what not to do. Like I can be pretty certain that giving someone the advice to find a pair of shoes that doesn't mess their feet up is going to help facilitate better foot health. Right. I can't tell them exactly what exercise is the best exercise. Um, but I can help them understand what not to do and leave it open to what they feel like doing, right? Give them some creative freedom to explore. And, you know, my feeling nowadays is that the more we teach patients what to do, the less learning the patient does to give them back responsibility, right? It's like everyone wants the answers, but the answers I give to someone are coming from my perspective, and I am not that person. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that person has to find their own answers, but it does help to get a bit of guidance about, like, where to go to find those answers. And that's kind of what we do at TFC now is try and present frameworks or principles or heuristics so that people can then take that and apply it in whatever way makes sense in their own life that they're prepared to commit to and discover for themselves the answers to these questions of why they have pain or what can actually help. Well, they got to figure it out. And the more we give people specific answers, the less they discover the true answers, which makes sense for them with their body, with where they're at. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded way of answering that. But I just... I just realized that like so many complex presentations have very simple root causes. And one of the yeah. big ones that I found was just footwear that, that people are wearing that is not aligned in any way with, um, you know, feet that adapt in a natural way. And it's funny, like with you were saying about, you know, that stability at the foot, like it's such an important part of the foot's role, you know, all the foot mm. wants to do and all our brain wants to know that our foot's doing is having stability. So we can stand and create kind of resistance through our muscles and fascia to, to stand up nice and aligned of a nice stable base. But then again, we go back to shoes where we're basically taking all that stability away by adding all this cushioning or putting the foot in a, a weird position or scrunching the toes like, that just takes all that stability away. Like it just makes sense when you think about it that, of course, the foot and the whole body is going to get messed up if mm. the foot's one job of creating stability isn't creating stability. <laughs> like right. Everything's going to yeah. be off. Um, yeah. Big surprise, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but like you said, right, like university and, and a lot of these um, degrees, uh, however you get your degree, um, or however you learn about health, a lot of it is about symptom treatment. Mm. I don't know, my degree was very much symptom-based. And mm. when you're looking at those symptoms, it becomes very 
localized in that part of the foot or the knee or the um, I had a lady in here yesterday who's bounced around between chiropractors, podiatrists, physios for nearly 18 months and everyone's just been looking at the foot or the ankle specifically with this problem and no one can work out what's going on. And within minutes of watching her walk and stand, I was like, well, like you just mentioned before about the hips, like within minutes, I was like, you've got two hips, that's a problem. This has, I mean, your foot's painful and it's not working properly, but this has all been driven by the hip. Like, has no one looked at your hip? She was like, no. Well, they look at my hip. And I was like, well, because it's connected to your foot and it helps mm. drive your foot, you know? Like, and it's kind of sad that a lot of these professionals and some of these people that she'd seen have been in the industry for a long time and are very highly regarded, you know, in town for what they do. But still, it's all just about looking at that part that's sore and trying to treat that part. It's so, so I love that you're kind right. of taking that step back as well and, and looking at the chain, looking at these mechanics. And like you said earlier, it's simplifying the mechanics. You can get really bogged down in, in going deep into that part or looking at all different muscle functions. And, and there's a part that's important around that, I believe, to still look at you know, some of the muscles that may or may not be activated and, and things. But, but taking that step back and looking at simplifying mechanics and looking at patterns is a, is a huge step forward in, in assessing people's health, right? Yeah. You know, the way I think about it is like we have this misplaced precision in um, school programs where like you're paying all this money, so they better teach you a lot of stuff. And, you know, when you go to a microscope and you have these different settings where you can twirl the microscope uh, lenses, you have like, you know, 10x magnification, then 100x, then 1,000x, then 10,000x we look at the body through like a million X magnification where you can find a lot of cool stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of things you can note, a lot of observations you can make, but sometimes you forget that you're like really deep in, in terms of magnification. And you can sometimes forget the greater context that that piece of data that you're seeing fits within. Mm-hmm. And you know, like we often simplify things. And I think there is a benefit to simplification. Like we, you know, some of our frameworks are ways to simplify health, like the five pillars of health we use is a way to understand health in a simplified way. But we always do it understanding that there's a bi-directional effect in all these pillars, right? They're interconnected bi-directionally, which means they all affect each other bi-directionally. And so, you know, you can simplify for, for to facilitate understanding, but you still have to view it through the context of the whole. And it's important to understand how, you know, one isolated thing is never an isolated thing, right? It's a subcomponent of a system, which is often within a web of multiple systems. Mm-hmm. And if we just look at it that way, um, it often allows us to rule out maybe specific treatments that might work in isolation. If you don't take the whole into the, uh, if you don't take the entire context, but when you do look at the macro picture, it makes little sense, right? Um, and if we just took a bigger, if we were just mindful of the greater context um, of the body, of all the systems that we have, of all their interdependencies, um, then I think we would be much better off, right? Like instead of just being a foot person, you're a whole body person with a specialty in feet instead mm. of just being the foot person. And if we all have this basic foundational understanding of health, 
if we're going to call ourselves health professionals, then one, we should probably embody health. We should probably be healthy and be working on our own personal health. Um, and number two, if we have that foundational understanding, we can all speak the same language when we're, you know, for example, referring people to each other and knowing mm -hmm. that, okay, this person is going to look at your feet, but they're going to look at your feet within the context of your whole body, which is really the key, right? Because where the symptoms are is very infrequently where the actual problem is. That's just where it's manifesting. So if you're always following the symptoms, you're always essentially moving away from the root cause, which, which can only be, um, you know, figure it out if you look at it in the, in the greater context. Yeah, and especially, I guess, some context around that as well would be, you know, these chronic conditions we see. Because obviously if you, well, not always, but if you roll your ankle or something and it's like a, it's a, an acute issue, mm. then yeah, the root cause might have been that you tripped or you got hit by a hockey stick or, and there's a, it's painful, you know, it's, but it's still mm. pretty obvious and it maybe needs to be treated or not. A lot of these chronic issues that you know you and I would see, that these tendonitis and things that kind of just occur for no reason. People might think there's some incident that started it, but it's these chronic issues where we're taking that step back and looking at holistic um, chain is just so valuable. And the more I've sort of ventured down this path of of looking at kind of barefoot health, barefoot rehab, whatever you kind of want to call it, exactly what you're saying has happened. Like I, I now look at the whole body and I, I don't treat the whole body. It's not what I'm trained to do and it's not what I want to do, but I now refer to people that I never would have thought that I would. You know, people that were looking at gut health, diet, um, or working with a lot of chiropractors to look at, you know, thoracic health and but by watching these patterns evolve over time, you, you start picking up on other issues that would be leading to that pain that you're trying to treat. It's pretty cool. And you're right. Like yeah, you're looking at that whole health situation. It's very cool. And it's like when, we, when people understand what their fundamental needs are and those fundamental needs for health are met, and I always tell people, if you treat yourself well, your body treats itself. Mm. Um, and you know, so we don't really have to, I, I often say like, we don't need to treat the body. We have to help the person understand how to treat themselves, you know, how to treat themselves well, how to have their fundamental needs met, their needs for movement, for quality sleep, for high quality nutrients, their needs for social connection. And we have all these weird things that get sold to us as ways to meet those needs. Um, but like most people would agree, like junk food doesn't meet your nutritional needs. Um, social media and being wired to someone doesn't meet your social needs. Um, you know, and, and, you know, people don't even know what these needs are. People don't even realize the fundamental need humans have for quality sleep. And if you don't get that, it's really hard for any of the other sort of elements of health to fall in place when, if you know that these elements are bi-directionally interconnected, where if one is lacking in a big, in a significant way, it doesn't matter. You can do the best thing for the other one but there's going to be a, a, a limiting element that's always going to be there until you fix it. And I think the yeah. fundamental problem is that people are never, we don't teach health. We don't teach health in high school. We don't teach health um, to our kids because most people don't actually understand health themselves. We don't teach health to the professionals who are known as the health helpers. And so, you know, if you don't teach health, 
then you have this massive gap where everyone ends up sick because no one knows what to do. And then you add into the mix this overwhelming information economy where everything that's ever been created is available to everyone at all times. If you have an internet connection. That shit is overwhelming. Yeah. So it's not actually accessing the information. It's getting clarity amongst the sea of information, most of which is not relevant or too complex. Um, mm. And, you know, so people just kind of are like paralyzed by the complexity and fall back on, you know, going to see the people who they who are they're told can help them. But in fact, if that person's just diagnosing and managing your symptoms, you never actually improve long term. You just like kick the can down the road. Um, and that's really frustrating. I, I feel people's frustrations. You know, I feel the frustrations of the health professionals that are burning out, uh, that feel helpless and just like overwhelmed with how many people they're being asked to help without even being given the tools to help them. Mm. Uh, I feel the frustrations for the people seeking help because, you know, even if you make the commitment to want to get better, it's really hard to navigate those waters. Um, if the people you go to see aren't even giving you the right advice. And so, yeah, it's, um, there needs to be a new game of health created. And that's kind of what we're trying to do at TSC is like, how do we align the financial incentive structure of a health system with optimal health outcomes? Because right mm -hmm. now, like, at least in Canada, the system is whack. It's totally opposite in terms of the game theory. Whereas, like, for example, if I'm a physical therapist, you come to see me for your shoulder pain. I'm not very good at my job. Therefore, I don't get you better. Therefore, you come to see me for more visits, and I make more money. So the, the less effective I am at my job, the more money I get. And there's zero incentive for me to become better because that, within the current game, that means I make less money. So why would I want to work harder? to learn something different, to make less money. And it's just like so wacky. And it's like, if you really deep, go deep into the fundamental problems of like, why do we have such a big problem? Like, why are all these things so out of whack? And it's like, we don't teach health. So when yeah, we start teaching the health, benefit of not teaching, the benefit of not teaching health is that people get sick and then there's industries yeah. around that. Yeah. If people were healthy, I mean, you just said it, a second ago, you know, like the, the less effective you are, the more you may. So if, if yeah. people were learning health from an early age and people were getting better or not getting not getting unhealthy, then there'd be much less um, money around for health professionals. There'd be less of an industry for pharmaceuticals. And I guess a lot of the the big players that kind of run these industries don't want that to change. Right. But at, at, <laughs> at the fundamental level, individuals want to be healthy. So of I think course. health is, I think health is insanely profitable. You know, this is the whole premise of everything we, we try and do at TFC and we're, we're doing okay. So like there must be money to be made in health. I mean, it's, you got to dig for it. You might have to innovate and think outside of the current um, sort of framework that we have in place, but people want to be healthy. They value their health. Um, people are pay spending a lot of money on things that they think are going to get them healthy and are mm. often disillusioned because they don't end up being sustainable solutions. And, you know, the biggest thing you have to invest in in order to improve your health is just your time and attention and the desire to learn and become more aware. Mm. You know, like people paying with money is easy because it's just like, just give me the thing. Here's some money. But it's like paying with your attention and really wanting to learn 
and realizing that you have to, you now have to take responsibility. Like when you realize only you can make yourself healthy, like that's kind of scary, right? Because now you can't blame anyone. You can't blame the health system. You can't blame a shitty body. It's like you can only blame yourself. And to, you know, I mean, people have to be helped to take that responsibility, right? Like responsibility Mm -hmm. comes from response and ability. If people don't have the ability to respond because they don't have the information, then it's not fair to say you need to take responsibility. And that's where health professionals come in. Like there is a need for guides to sort of give clarity to the journey and point people in the right direction. And, you know, I think there's a big opportunity. There's a gargantuan opportunity there. It's just, um, we don't seem to have really committed to taking, taking, you know, making the most of that opportunity. Yeah. And like you mentioned before about the internet, like there is so much information and I've just noticed myself with people I'm around, people are information hungry. You know, we're mm-hmm. in this age where, where people, I guess, are trying to take maybe a little bit more responsibility or accountability for the, the symptom they have. You know, they would have Googled Dr. Yu and what their problem was and maybe have tried some things themselves. But like you said, there is a, a lot of misinformation on there as well that may misguide someone mm. on their journey. So you're right. There's a huge need for for guides to um, to help take these people on this journey who are hungry for information and want to get themselves better. Because I think innately we kind of know as humans, especially if you're somewhat connected to being a human being, and then stopping every now and then and, and remembering like what we actually are, then mm-hmm. you kind of know that there is that natural healing, that there is that, you know, you can do things to make yourself better. So, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic, taking the approach of, of like, I guess, awakening people. Do you find there's more or sort of better compliance as well when you're giving people the, the, the framework but then letting them go and find their own way of, of doing that? Like you mentioned earlier that you can't necessarily give everyone specific exercises that are right for them. Do you find by kind of giving frameworks and giving um, a guide that there's more compliance if people start taking responsibility for themselves and trying different approaches themselves? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the word compliance is a very loaded medical word, right? Compliance means you need to be forced to do something. And, you know, I think it's a big crutch that we've used in the world of medicine and rehab for a long time, right? It's easy to blame non-compliance. Um, instead of like putting yourself in front of the mirror and saying like, am I even giving this person the right thing? Like if they're not complying, they're either, you know, it wasn't the right thing for them. It didn't fit with their life. So they can't do it. Yeah. Uh, you didn't give them a reason why, so they don't want to do it, you know, and either way, that's not a patient fault. That is a guide fault. And mm-hmm. so non-compliance is really just, uh, the inability to be effective in disguise. Like, because we're just like shipping off that blame to, Oh, you didn't comply. It's your fault. It's like, actually there's you know maybe we need to look at that and you know i think you know one thing one of our biggest missions this year is to make health fun and make health uh you know like really embed um play into the process of health and when you give people you know when you make it so that curious people who want to change are the people who approach you right you're not going out and telling people to change you're waiting for them to approach you with questions 
And sometimes you just have to ask them more questions to give them a bit of clarity. And then they go off and, and have a play and experiment and try new things. And then when they reach a dead end, then they come and ask for more. If it's really, you know, this whole self-directed process where people, you only give people what they need because they've come to you expressing an interest. Um, it's kind of like letting a kid learn what they feel like learning. And so there is no compliance needed because it's self-directed and guided through, guided by curiosity. Sorry about that. That's the doorbell. Um, and when you do that, there's no need for compliance. It's literally just people are doing what they want to do. And part of your job is give them fun, exciting experiments to do that they actually look forward to doing. Mm. And so that's sort of this interesting thing that happens when um, you just provide the help when people come to you ready to take that on. And then there's no forcing needed. You're literally just giving them some tools and encouraging to go have fun. And if it's not fun, people probably aren't going to do it. And I think that's where, you know, something like beam work is so simple, right? It's like balance on a piece of metal or a piece of wood. Mm. And, and yet it's people seemingly gravitate towards it because it's fun. And they don't need to know about all those crazy things it's doing to improve your focus or to improve your body integration. You know, all they have to know is this is fun. So I'm going to keep doing it. And I've heard there's some benefits from it. So I'm just going to keep working on it. So do, do you think with the whole like, play side of things, I mean, it's obvious now you say that that's, it's going to make people want to do it more often if it's fun. Right. But around play, do you find there's other benefits to being playful? Like I've noticed a lot of the, the things you're doing now on social media seems to stem a lot around just playing, you know, like getting back out to nature, like getting on beams, just, just playing. Do you find that helps your body maybe heal faster or like what are there other benefits other than just wanting to do it more? Is it, or is it mainly just that you want to do it more and that's also why it works? Yeah. I think it's mostly the, you know, that whole notion where the best exercise is the one you're actually going to do long-term. Yeah, and so, you know, if play is the secret sauce to get people doing the things, it turns out the actual things you do doesn't really matter as long as you're doing things. Um, you know, I look at my personal view of health is a mindful novelty search. And so you're just, my goal with health is to constantly try new things and be mindful enough to see whether they're helping me or not. Hmm. Um, there's this very interesting experiment that they did with machine learning, like machine intelligence. And they gave these AI little robots, they put them in a maze. And the first one is they gave it an objective. And the objective is get through the maze to the other side. And they put it in there and most of these robots would hit a dead end and they would just get stuck. They wouldn't know what to do. Because if your only objective is to get from A to B, well, if you go somewhere and you have to actually go backwards in order to get forward, if it's hard coded that the objective is the only thing that you work towards, then you get stuck. And then they give this other machine learning program um, the constraint of try something, always try something new. And guess what? They all got out of the maze because if you try enough things, you eventually solve the problem. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. Know, it's a very interesting thing where it's like constraints based, um, you know, using constraints versus using objectives. And I think a lot of people use objectives. Um, whereas what we maybe should be doing is constraints, which is back to like telling people what not to do is a constraint, right? Don't wear shitty shoes that deform your feet. That's a constraint. You're not telling them what shoe to wear, what style to wear, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. You're leaving it very open for them to play with whatever fits with their life or whatever they feel a calling to, but you're giving them a constraint of what not to do. And eventually they will get to the right spot because they're just going to try new things. And mm -hmm. so this whole concept of a novelty search guided through curious play, non-judgmentally, right? And it's, don't get me wrong, like health is simple, but it's really hard in a society engineered for disease. It really is. Like I, and, and knowing the stuff isn't enough because I consider myself to be better informed than most in the, on the topic of health. And yet I constantly do unhealthy shit because the world is engineered such mm. that most of our fundamental needs don't get met if you live according to cultural norms, right? Yeah. Like there's so many things teasing us away from what our bodies truly need. Like Netflix is just like this giant magnet for people, myself included. Like I, I don't have Netflix because I don't trust myself having Netflix. Um, you know, like <laughs> I, I literally don't, I will limit the amount of, you know, junk food which, you know, it's never about absolutes, right? I never tell people never eat junk food. I just say like, eat a little bit less than what you're currently eating. Mm. And then in a week, eat a little bit less, like just buy less so that it's not available in your home and you're probably not gonna eat as much of it. Um, and so there's just a lot of things in society. You know, I think like teaching kids health in uh, high school, in grade school, it's kind of like teaching self-defense, right? We have all these forces coming at us that are putting us in danger. The least we can do is keep, teach our kids kids self-defense and give them a fighting chance to be able to equalize the power distribution of social media, of junk food, of Netflix. Like, all, like let's just teach kids self-defense. I don't think it's too much to ask for. But yeah. what I was getting at is it is hard. Health is simple, but it's hard to be healthy in a disease-centric culture. And so, you know, we should both try and change sort of the culture to, to, to one that actually makes health um, convenient and easy and disease hard because we know disease is really expensive and we're hitting a threshold where we're not going to be able to do that much longer until things collapse. Um, and also give people self-defense so that when they do encounter the things, um, in modern life that, that tend to steer them away from health, they know how to detect them, right? They know how to defend against them or at least be aware of, even if they still fall prey to them, they're at least aware of it and can try and do better next time. And that's mm -hmm. the key is like, there's no judgment. Right. It's just everyone's on this journey of trying to do a little bit better each day. That's it. There's no expectations. There's no, you know, end destination you get to. It's a lifelong process, but you have to want to engage with it and you have to have some guides that can give you clarity without telling you exactly what to do. Because the people who tell you exactly what to do, I'd be aware of that. Yeah. And I like that idea of constraints. Like, even it just reminded me then, um, you know, like distractions, you know, like Netflix you're talking about, like a big distraction for me and I'm sure for a lot of people that causes a lot of stress, even though it's not really, shouldn't be stressful, I know it causes me stress is emails, right? Like mm. the amount of emails I get every day between different email accounts yeah. I've got and like if you put that back into olden days of the postman coming, like the postman would never leave my house. <laughs> He'd like, be like a full-time job, just like loading up my yeah. mailbox with like a big trolley coming in. Like, yeah. But it's stressful having to open each of those you know, yeah. letters and work out is it, is it rubbish, is it a bill, is it someone asking for my energy, like what is this? Yeah. It becomes really overwhelming. And I loved how when you're talking about constraints, I noticed um, uh, when I'd emailed you recently that you've just put a block on 
time and kind of protecting your time around emails. I've been trying to start thinking about how I can make that work for me. It's funny that you're teaching constraints and that was one that I've recently learned off you just incidentally by emailing you um, that really resonated with me of, you know, I find because for me stress then manifests in dysfunctional breathing patterns and I just have mm-hmm. to really then focus on restabilizing my core and blah, blah, blah. But for me, I've really noticed emails are a trigger. You know, as I think what you're saying of looking at constraints, looking at what fits in with individual lifestyles, but especially getting back to the kids, like one thing I really want to teach my kids as they start to to grow, and I mean, they're not at the age of social media um, at this point. They definitely watch TV way more than they probably should. But we still make sure as, as part of our family values we're outside every day. You know, we're outside barefoot playing. I live at the beach, we're lucky. We'll be down climbing the rocks, like just walking as a family and looking for shells and exploring. That's part of what we're doing. We're trying to teach the kids that you need this downtime and this time just where you can just be and not be overwhelmed by distractions of TV or games and, you know, school, whatever it is. Um, so I think starting that process early of helping kids learn whatever the value is for, for people's family, little lifestyles or where they're based in the world, you know, whether it's um, dealing with physical health, whether it's time-based kind of protection. But it does start with that next generation, right? Because they're the ones that will, yep. if we teach them how to start protecting um, or putting constraints around some of these disease makers that are in our world, they'll feel, it won't just be part of their norm. They'll know when it's starting to get too much and be like, oh, I need to back off. Where I guess we've grown up in a in an era where it's just been rapidly evolving so quickly and before you know it, you're just in the thick of it with yeah. no understanding why you're so overwhelmed or why your, your joints are all falling apart. And then it's not until you stop and look at yeah, lifestyle and diet and all these things that when you start looking, it becomes really obvious. <laughs> why we're so sick as a, as a yeah <laughs> yeah dude emails were like and still are a struggle like i've even i've put constraints but it's like they would just consume my soul and mm. you know one of the really important things that i try and do um at least on a quarterly basis but on a smaller scale on a more frequent basis is a personal time inventory like where does my time actually go um you know, so I use a time block calendar. I have a fairly structured life. And my theory is that the structure in my, in my routines actually gives me freedom mm. um, because it creates, it deburdens my daily decision-making requirements, right? I don't have to pick, you know, what I'm going to wear today, or I don't have to pick what I'm going to do at this time in the morning. Like I have routines that are designed because they, I know they enhance my health. And there's, there's obviously flexibility where like it'll, it will always change based on new data I'm getting, new, how I'm feeling or different things I'm going to try. Um, but yeah, email is like, and it's one of those things where and you talk about values. And I really think that, you know, in my life, if I'm clear and strong on my values, and, you know, I'll often ask people like, what are your values? What are your core values? And they kind of struggle to answer it. But I think the easiest way to, to define values, like, what do you value? Like, what do you have value on? What do you place value on? What are things that you like or want or think are essential in your life to live the kind of life you want to live? 
And if you value health, then the decision to eat junk food is no longer a decision. You decide on that value and that made a thousand decisions for you. It doesn't mean you'll always stay true to the right decision, right? And mm. this is where the non-judgmental curiosity part comes, comes to fruition, right? Like if I value health as a deeply held core value, then McDonald's is not an option for me. Like it's not even on the table as something I have to contend with or use willpower to fight against. Like it's not an option, mm. right? Like I don't, cigarettes aren't an option for me. They never have been. I don't have to decide to not smoke cigarettes. They're simply not an option. So I think if people get really strong on their, on their values, they at, least, they at least then have a compass. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you've got all the problems solved, but you at least have mm. a compass so that when you do get lost, you know where to get back to, right? Or you know what the aspiration is so you can keep experimenting. And like anytime I try and change a, a, a habit that I know isn't serving me, and I've actually started to do this thing where I don't say good or bad, need to, should have, all this kind of stuff. Like there's no, uh, there's no morality in this anymore. It's not good or bad. It's simply like, is this something, is this a behavior that's serving my values or is this a behavior that's not serving my values? Cause then there's no, like, I don't, I never do things that are, I never do bad things. I'm just doing, you know, habits are literally just solutions to problems that we, that we repeatedly have to solve. Right. Mm. Like eating junk food is the solution to feeling not so great and wanting some short-term relief, right? It's not usually because of hunger. And so if you just identify those things and you have that compass, then you know, okay, well, I've tried these three things and none of them work. So I'm going to try another experiment. And maybe you're like 10 experiments in until you hit on something that works. Um, but it's that curiosity to constantly try and experiment to find something that works that gets you to the place of changing that behavior, which is really hard to do, right? Like behaviors that our habits are essentially so deeply ingrained, we're hardly even thinking about doing them. Therefore, it's really hard to change those because you're on autopilot. And so, yeah, I think just like really being kind to ourselves is something that I used to hear people say, and I was like, oh God, the kind to yourself thing again. But I realized like it's really important um, because if you're, you know, if you treat yourself shittier than anyone else that you encounter, um, you're working against yourself. And if you just like look at it like, okay, I just crushed the tub of ice cream, spit an all-nighter on Netflix and like, you know, drank a 2-4 of beer. It's like, okay, I did that and I don't feel great now. Um, but why did I do that? Like what happened in my life to make me want to go to those things to feel better? Oh, I just had a terrible day at work. Oh, I have all these things and I feel overwhelmed. Oh, okay. And I think this fundamental element that we talk about mental health a lot. Um, but I don't think we actually talk about practical mental health, um, like things people can do or the importance of how mental health trickles into the, every other element of your life is because if you're overwhelmed, if you're doing all these habits, you're on autopilot, you hate that you're doing them, but you feel powerless to stop. Sometimes you just need to sit down with yourself, eliminate the noise, and then the signal starts to come through. And then you can actually think of oh, I'm doing this and I don't like that I'm doing that. Well, I wonder what I can do to change that. Hmm, maybe I'll try this tomorrow, right? Like the, the overwhelm that we have 24-7 all the time prevents us from actually sitting down and thinking, what should I do right now? How do I feel right now? Why did I do that shitty thing that I always seem to do and I don't know why I'm doing it? Oh, maybe it's this. Oh, maybe, you know, like we need time to think to ourselves. And like, I think my biggest keystone habit apart from like prioritizing sleep is just, sitting down with myself for 20 minutes in the morning, first thing in the morning, every day, 
And it took me, guess what? It took me a long time to be able to do that. Like a shockingly long time. I tried five minutes initially and I couldn't even do it for like six months. Yes, uh, I like, struggled to do it. It's so hard. And it's just because we're so used to always having stuff coming in and always be doing things that just being and with ourselves is all of a sudden like torture. Like I think mm. there's a study where people will literally inflict, inflict physical pain on themselves if that's an option for, uh, instead of being with themselves for five minutes. They will literally choose to inflict pain on themselves. That's how disconnected we are from <laughs> like it's wacky, you know? And so, yeah, I think just like a daily practice of sitting with yourself undistracted with no external inputs and just allows for clarity to even get some sense of direction. And I think that's, for me, where mental health hasn't really come to the forefront yet. We talk about mental health problems, anxiety, depression, all that kind of stuff. But like the daily things of just like sit down for five minutes every day alone, like that's what we should be talking about because it turns out that's really hard. And actually, that's a really key element for all the other things related to health. And with the mental health, and I know mental health is very complex. Like I'm not trying to solve mental health right now, but I've been thinking about mental health a bit lately. And it's, to me, I'm kind of looking at it as feet, <laughs> right? Sure. In that yeah. mental health is still very symptom-based. You've got depression, you've got anxiety, so you need to meditate or do these things to try and fix that symptom. But like you're saying, it's, it's, going back to those root causes, like when we talk about feet, it's looking at holistic, it's looking at the lifestyle, it's looking at, you know, what with feet is what position you're putting your feet in all day, like in a shoe, mental health, mm. what, what are we putting our brain in day in, day out that's causing yeah. that to become so dysfunctional and so, you know, so diseased or, you know, in disease. And like you're saying, being able to stop, being able to look at, uh, make it that clarity of, yeah, I'm really anxious at the moment because I have no time. If you stop and, ha and give yourself that time to think about that and work out that that's maybe one of the root causes, then you can start looking at, like you do, with your calendar and start blocking out time and seeing if that starts mm -hmm. to, to give you that kind of mental capacity and mental space again to literally breathe rather than just being, because we're in such an overwhelming society. Like, yeah, mental health is such a huge issue right now, um, and, and at crazy ages, like younger and younger yeah. people uh, with mental health, it's it's scary. Hey, like we are so disconnected from mm -hmm. from what it is to be human. Like there's so many people to have have these um, these con you know mental health concerns. It's it's frightening. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I get overwhelmed sometimes just thinking of the scale, like the scope of, of this issue. Um, but sort of what brings me back is like, if you get someone to just spend 60 seconds a day with themselves, um, they're chipping away at, at making progress, turning their mind from their, their biggest enemy, like the biggest cause of problems in their life is often their mind. Mm. And you're transitioning that every time you sit down for 60 seconds, you're slowly shifting your biggest enemy into your biggest asset, your biggest ally, your biggest supporter. And like, you know, just knowing that the tiniest thing like that can result in these exponentially massive changes um, kind of gives me a little bit of comfort knowing that, okay, well, yeah, like we have some really freaking big problems, like on multiple fronts in the world. Like we're, we're kind of like, we lived in this old story we got rocked. We're in the middle space. We don't really know what the heck's going on. 
and we're about to enter into a new story. What people don't realize is like, we are deciding what that new story is. Every single person individually with their choices is deciding what kind of new story we want to live in. Mm. Like, are we still going to pillage the planet? Are we still going to fight against each other? You know, like all these silly things we've just done because it's the way things have been done. Like we now have an opportunity to kind of decide like, okay, well, what things do we want to throw out? And what things do we want to adopt as like core cultural values in the world that we want to live in, in a world that we want our kids to be able to live in. Mm. And I think it starts with just the individual understanding that little things can make a massive difference. And if you are fighting against yourself all the time, you cannot win. Um, and, you know, I would, I would lump that into this whole category of fighting against nature, our own nature, um, fighting against, you know, a virus, which is part of nature instead of just understanding like this is all part of the ecosystem and we just can find a way to exist in this ecosystem where it's like it can be really good Mm. it can be really good (laughs) we just have to decide that we want it to be good and you know forfeit a little bit of comfort um in order to create a better place and you know part of that is like health requires some discomfort right like one of my favorite things is every injury you have as a teacher and it's like, there's a lot of tough love there. Yes, yeah, right. Comfort. And you can either listen to the teacher that gives you tough love, or you can ignore them and have to retake that lesson ad infinitum for the rest of your life, along with a bunch of suffering. So maybe you just tune in, be uncomfortable a little bit, learn from it, and then never have to deal with it again. And, you know, if, if I, it's back to the story, right? Like until we change the narrative, the, the stories that people have accepted as um, the truth. If we change the fundamental story, then people realize that they can rewrite whatever story they want. And if they take these new values with them, they're gonna write a really good story. They're gonna get out Mm. of pain. They're gonna, you know, experience a lot less suffering. Um, And they're gonna recontextualize the suffering they they do experience as growth. It's like, this is all part of the process. And if we view it like that, then there's going to be discomfort. Like I have discomfort every day. I purposely put discomfort in my life so that I'm ready when things get uncomfortable that I didn't plan for. <laughs> and, what sort of discomfort uh, would you put in your life? Well, like taking a cold shower or going yeah, out for okay. a walk in the cold uh, when I'm underdressed or um, having a really uncomfortable conversation with someone instead of just like not having it, which is actually way easier and way more convenient. Um, seeking things, seeking feedback from people that I probably don't want to hear but I've learned to like to hear. Um, yeah. And just like, you know, deciding not to eat the bag of cookies, which I really want to eat. You know, that leaves me with some discomfort. <laughs> I have to sit in the discomfort of what was causing you to want to eat those cookies. But I learn a lot. I learn, you know, I, I, I'm all of a sudden have a little bit of clarity on why am I uncomfortable right now? Oh, I slept like shit. Oh, I haven't even talked to a human today in person. I've only been talking to computers that are talking to other humans. And they're not the same. And, you know, yeah. like those, those moments of clarity, I think, only come when you sit in the discomfort and take a little bit of time to just like, how am I doing right now? What, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? How's my life? You know, like no one, no one looks at their life and is like, is this actually a life I, I like living? Um, and if it's not, that's okay. You don't have to change everything right now. But like, maybe start changing things. Maybe start experimenting with ways you can make it a better life to live. Sorry, this is getting really deep, but... No, it's good though because last yeah. year for me, like with um, like getting back to nature, like during all that the the pandemic, COVID, whatever you whatever you want to call it, last year the craziness of the world, <laughs> like 
Yeah. I wasn't worried so much about the virus. Yeah. Like, I probably should have been more worried than I was. Did you? But, I wasn't worried either. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. That makes me feel better. But <laughs> what started to worry me was how disconnected I felt from, yeah. from everything. So last year, I was, and I'm trying to like ramp it back up now, but I got really quiet on social media because um, I just wasn't feeling it. I, I spent a lot of time last year with my kids, with my wife, out in nature. Like we couldn't go and be around people elsewhere. So we went and spent a lot of time hiking down the beach, just doing things where we could be as our unit, still interacting mm. with each other, having fun, playing. And the more I got back to that like nature state, it's kind of really messed me up in that it's probably the most time I've spent in nature. We spend time in nature regularly, but last year probably a lot more than usual and we had time where we couldn't go to work and things, so there was just time where we could just go and do more of that, you know, which was really cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the more I got back to just enjoying being around nature, feeling just the water at my feet or climbing on rocks, the harder I found it to come back to these computer-based things, which they are important. Like there's great messaging and content and things that people can learn from it. But I was really trying to find that balance and I'm still struggling this year of really trying to get back into kind of what my life was. So it's funny that you say you, know, you can create this new narrative because I'm kind of on that path right now of trying to find this balance of mm. getting back to still trying to help people but also be true to myself and, and kind of start setting more boundaries of being human again because I really yeah. noticed that, yeah, I, I had become, it's funny, it's on your, on your shirt, it says human. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I really found and I've been thinking a lot over the last 12 months about what it is to be human and, yeah. and how much over the last however many years I've probably taken that for granted and, and to a certain extent, not taking enough accountability for my own health. You know, I'm going to try and be healthy. But the deeper I look at it, <laughs> talk about getting deep, like, like I'm not healthy at all. I'm so disconnected from nature and what it is to be right. a human that can heal itself and, uh, and have that kind of connection with yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's an interesting journey. And like you said, it's a journey. And everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to yeah. come in at their own place and then kind of, duck and weave and do what they need to do. And I love how that story you said earlier about the, um, the artificial intelligence of, of how it was programmed to either just get to that objective, um, which when we're talking before about values, maybe that's part of the problem people have too, is like we set these kind of values or these, these goals we're trying to achieve that are very like the artificial intelligence. It's like we need to get back to that goal. And the only way I know mm. to do it is this way when it failed, right. we feel terrible. We feel like we've failed. Yeah. Then we go back to our old patterns rather than looking at what the other machines were doing where they had to get that goal no matter what and trying different parts. Yeah, so try something can, new. A lot we can learn from that. Yeah. So to bring it back up a little bit less deep, can you just give us a bit of a quick story about the beams? Like sure. TNC is big on beams. Um, you sell beams, you do lots of workshops around beam work amongst other things, but why are beams so important? How do they help yeah. us? Why should people be on them? Um, yeah, tell us about beams. Sure. 
Um, so we do, we make beams, but really fundamentally a beam is a, anything that you can interact with that narrows your base of support. So really all it is, it's, it applies the constraint of a narrow base of support. If you want to like go down to the granular level, that's all it is. So that can literally be a, a chalk line drawn on pavement or a piece of tape on the ground. It can be a piece of metal or a piece of wood. It can be whatever you want it to be. Um, and you know, where I found, where it all started was I used to, when I owned a clinic, I used to go on courses with the guy I owned the clinic with. And towards the end of the course, we would just get destroyed by the mental wear of thinking of all the things we had to do when we got back, right? <laughs> like as two business owners, like running a business is really hard. It really is. You know, like hands up, hats off to anyone who's, you know, endeavoring to create a business for themselves that they can work on because it's really friggin' hard. And, you know, just the money motivation is not enough to get you through to the other side. I, it just mm -hmm. isn't, right? You have to have a deeper sense of purpose of why you're doing that, a deeper sense of meaning, either personally or for the greater good. And so we go in these courses, we would start to get really stressed, right, near the end. And what we did was we went and found railings and we just balanced on them. And we didn't really know why we did it. It was like fun. We're kind of competitive. So we'd compete with each other, see who falls off first. And what we realized is that like, it automatically makes you calm your mind down. You don't think of all the shit you have to do. You just think of that one second in time and not falling off the railing. So I kind of realized like, this feels really good on my feet. I think this is working some magic with my hips because my body's kind of figuring shit out as I'm trying to not fall, right? It's, it's doing like high frequency experiments to figure out what's mm. the best way to make this human not fall off. Um, so it's kind of facilitating self-organizing. It's really fun. And from a mental health point of view, I had to focus and be present. It was like my immediate tool to be present. Um, and so bought a little piece of scaffolding, put it in the clinic, realized people actually really enjoy doing it. And it actually gave me a huge amount of info in terms of screening, right? Uh, if I tell someone to balance on one foot on a piece of tubing, I can get a lot of information that they can't lie about, right? Like it doesn't lie. If you fall off in one second, your proprioception and integration sucks. I don't give a shit how much you tell me you work on it. Like it sucks. Mm. <laughs> You're not doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and kids would actually enjoy it. And we'd make games, you know, like two kids come in, they're doing some sort of rehab together and they would throw a ball to each other and they would compete against each other. So it was fun. So people actually wanted to do it. And so we realized like, what if we could put a beam in people's houses for them to do work on this at home? Like it's pretty portable. Um, you know, we bought this tubing. I would literally hand polish them in my basement to degrease them. I was selling like three or four of them, uh, you know, every couple of weeks. And I was like, this is great. People are standing on beams. They're having fun. This is awesome. And now it's just sort of mushroomed where we've sort of built like a, a culture of play and fun on layered on top of the beam, which, you know, I always tell people it's just a toy um, that you can interact with. It only works if you interact with it. Um, and you don't need to know all the mental and physical benefits that you're getting because if you're just doing it and you're feeling better, that's all you need to know, right? I can, mm -hmm. I can talk to you an hour about all the amazing things that I think beams do to people's integration and foot health and mental health and ability to focus and all these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's just like, is it fun? Can I give you a way to play with this that makes you want to continue? And one of the really cool things, people see their progress really quick. And I think this, you know, from a, you know, I come from a psychology and, and biology background and, you know, humans fascinate me deeply. And, um, you know, I'm still trying to figure myself out and let alone trying to figure out why, why people do what they do. Um, and why are, you know, why do people who want to be healthy 
find it so hard to actually do the behaviors that they know they should be doing. Like what, where's the disconnect? And, you know, what I realized is that when people can see firsthand that they're making progress, it turns out that's a really big motivator to continue doing that behavior. And when you balance on a beam for five seconds, you fall off the first time, and then you get up to 30 seconds within like 10 minutes, because it's really not, you're not, you don't have to get stronger. Your body's just getting better at sending the right signals in the right sequence. Mm-hmm. When people see they're getting better, they're like, I want to keep doing this. Like, I got this in 10 minutes. What, I wonder what I can do in 20 minutes. What other things can I try? And so you just kind of give them little fun challenges to do and they do them and then they're like, what's next? I crushed that and I never thought I'd be able to do that. And so, you know, it kind of, there's a lot of psychological elements with creating a, a, a framework around a sequential, um, like a sequence of beam challenges that go from really easy to really hard that can place anyone at any level into a flow channel where like they're deeply immersed in this thing. They're trying to focus. It's not so hard that it's impossible. It's not so easy that it's boring, but it's like just at the right spot where they're like, I can't quite get this, but I, I know I can if I work at it. So it just kind of hit on this magical blend of all those things. And, you know, like NHL hockey teams order beams from us. LeBron James has one of our beams in his house. Really? You know, like it kind of just blew up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think at the elite level is maybe the biggest opportunity to reintegrate play as like maybe the superpower of training no one's using is play. And we're seeing this with some of the high-level athletes that are buying beams from us. You know, like literally NBA, NFL, NHL, um, PGA, like all we see these names come across our screen of people just ordering from us, right? They're not even contacting us. They're just buying a beam and then using it. And I think that kind of shows people that there is something to this, right? The the simpler the tool, the more complex the play behavior that you're allowed to, to layer onto that tool. And so the beam is literally just a piece of metal. It's literally a line on the floor. Which means sprinkled that with what some you magic dust, of course. Yeah, sprinkled with yeah, magic <laughs> dust, made with love, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. I mean, we make our beams like we're like, if we're gonna make beams and all it is is like two cradles and a piece of metal, let's just make them as best as humanly possible without getting ridiculous with like gold plating or some shit. Um, so we, we do like making them and that's the way people support what we do and we try and make products that last forever. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just it's trying to make health fun by almost tricking people into doing something that's healthy without even saying that it's healthy. It's just fun. And yeah. so. And I like that it's, um, but I still think there's value in obviously creating stability on the ground as well. But I love yeah. that with beam, for sure, there's, there's just a pass fail. So you know how sometimes if you take, you know, when you had people in the clinic back in the day and you're trying to take them through an exercise or something. And sometimes it does get a little bit technique driven and, and when you send them home to do that, it's very easy to do it wrong but feel like you're doing it right. Yep. Or something like a beam, for instance, where it's just a pass-fail. Like you said, it's fun, but it's like yep. you're either on the beam and balancing or you fall yep. off and get instant feedback that, oh, exactly. damn, that wasn't that good. That was only you know, yep. X amount of seconds and I lost because I fell off. I was aiming for a minute, whatever it is. So it's a nice kind of yep. pass-fail, which means kids can use it. Because again, it's just stay on the beam for yeah. as long as you can. Make sure you get There's no extra. wrong way. If you're on the beam, you're doing it right. This is what I tell people. They're like, oh, my, should I do this? I'm like, if you're on the beam, you're doing it right. It's like, there's no wrong way. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you find over time that helps the, the patterns change? Like, do you see biomechanical changes from more of a scientific side or you don't care? It's just <laughs> they're playing, they're winning. 
<laughs> whatever else happens happens <laughs> i see it in i see it in myself um you know i i see the changes that happen in my, in like the span of my concentration focus like this like people, we don't we don't really talk i've started to talk less about the benefits of the beam because it's kind of like it's you know i've learned that the same thing happens with like community for example you can talk about community you can talk about play but if i invited you over for for a dinner party and i served you a picture of the food instead of the actual food you'd be like what the hell is this it's like this isn't it <laughs> you know like talking about play <laughs> is like serving a picture of food just eat the freaking food just do the yeah. thing and experience it yourself and create meaning out of it yourself um and by experiencing it you know that's really the key and so you know i've seen changes in myself in my i saw a lot of changes in patients like for example someone comes in with completely locked up ankles um and we'll even quantify that with like a knee to wall measurement and then they'll go hang out on the beam for 10 minutes and just play around and we'll remeasure and there's a significant difference in their ankle mobility yeah now if they continue the same behaviors that led to that restriction until i see them next it's probably going to be just as limited next time i see them but what that tells me is that they didn't have a hardware um restriction their software was not allowing them to demonstrate a certain amount of mobility because they didn't trust that they had enough control to do that they hadn't earned that mobility and then they jump on the beam and they all of a sudden prove to their body that they have earned that mobility that they are capable of safely ex expressing that mobility and all of a sudden it comes and it's like magic and, and initially i was like this can't be right am i measuring this wrong like what's going on here and what i realized is just like it, they did a software update and all of a sudden they they opened up this new realm of movement potential that they weren't allowed to explore before because their bodies didn't trust that they could do it safely. Mm -hmm. um, and so I see stuff like that all the time. You know, people come in and they're like, oh, my, their backs kill. And I, I ask them to get on a beam and they're like, you're a crazy person. I'm on flat ground and my back hurts. What are you telling me to do get on a beam? And, you know, I kind of distract them a little bit. Sure enough, it doesn't give them any pain. They're, you know, they're pretty wobbly. And then after like 10 minutes of us just playing, like I used to have a blast in clinic because I would just play with people. It was like play, to, I got paid to play with people. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, how, how is this even real? Um, but after 10 minutes of play, they'd be like, my back doesn't hurt very much. Like I wasn't thinking on my back. I was just trying to not fall off and I was trying to impress you, but I, I wasn't thinking on my back. My back hurts less now. And I found those moments very interesting where I was like, okay, that's a little piece of information. You know, I'm not going to say this is the holy grail of, of life, but like, I saw that repeat a lot. Mm. And I was like, all right, well, clearly there's something here because this, this little experiment I'm doing with the hypothesis that this beam is helping people's body self-organize is clearly this is repeating, right? So we never did any studies or anything like that. Um, but I saw it firsthand and that was sort of like every person I saw that pattern with was reinforcing the fact that this is good. Just get people on a beam. Who gives a shit if you know deeply what's actually happening? good things are happening just get them on a beam make it fun make them want to engage with this um and it turns out like the more you play the more creative you are um and that can apply to creatively solving problems in your life to creatively working on a project at work and you know you get people playing um people think play is this goofy thing they don't have they don't need to make time for as adults but like play is a superpower um you know like like in a big way and you know, I won't keep serving you pictures of food, but it, you know, try it. It works. <laughs> and that's like play and curiosity. You know, like when yeah. you look at and and having having kids have kind of watched this evolve and just being sort of interested in movement and biomechanics, I'd watch how they 
of their milestones, you know, of how they started to to roll and crawl and then eventually walk. And mm. what leads to each step is curiosity and them wanting to play, basically. You know, there'll be yep. something out of reach they want to get to to play with, they're curious about what it is, and then they'll start to reorganise and find a way to make that happen. So whether mm. it's rolling over to get to it, whether it's eventually crawling to get further to get to the thing they want to play with or crawling away from you because chasing is a fun game. Um, yeah. try and but, then, but then we lose that as kind of adults. Yeah. We start to lose that curiosity in play. So I think what you're, what you're talking about, what you're onto is, is awesome and, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, and especially the beams, you know, like, like I said, there's, there's probably there's things people need to do to create like stability, but getting on an unstable surface and making your body just have to start firing up patterns that it hasn't had to potentially use before and start firing off these patterns quickly, getting the core, the hips, the feet, the brain to all start to have to work really quickly together and figure stuff out really quickly. Like, that's kind of what we do as humans, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we would have yeah. been doing if we weren't living on a concrete surface. You know? Yeah, and it turns out that... It turns out that being able to react quicker in an optimal way could be the difference between getting injured and not getting injured also. hundred oh, percent. Um, you know, so I think the way I look at it is like inversion ankle sprains and ACL tears come from the mechanism of not reacting quick enough with the right muscle. And all mm. beam work does, because you're right. I mean, it's like, we're not, we don't walk around all day on balance beam. So how, how much carryover can it possibly have? But what I've learned is it kind of stress tests your ability to correct positions so that real life is way easier. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it on a beam, then real life is a breeze on flat, stable surfaces. And that half millisecond of reacting quicker could be the difference between blowing out your ACL or just being like, ooh, that, that felt sketchy, but I'm okay. But it's um, also going to highlight a lot of asymmetries, right? Yep. Like if you might be really good on your right side, for instance, but then it gives the person who's doing it also, it's not just you standing back saying, you know, in the clinic, ooh, that, that right side looks stronger and more stable in my test than your left. If they don't mm. feel that, yeah, well, they buy into the process as much, maybe not. They pop them on right. a beam and it's like, damn, that left side really sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're going to work you harder. You the hard moments all the time. They're going to work harder, right, to make that left side to impress you <laughs> and to start winning on that side that's weaker or it'll really highlight some of those asymmetries or, or weaknesses. So, I think there's a huge value, and I think what you're doing is amazing. Um, last question I have, I'm a question, just did you want to have a quick chat about the uh, the shoe project you're working on? It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's kind of meandered through a couple of different phases, and it will continue to change. But right now, uh, the Footwear Co., uh, which is just the footwearco.com, our current endeavor is to be an ally to anyone in the space of footwear who is making footwear or innovating footwear just to be an ally for them and help them through the process of making more natural footwear. Um, we came out with a beta shoe called the FC.5, which we put out there and we got feedback on and people liked it. There were, you know, obviously things that we can definitely improve on with it. But what we realized is that to be, to maximize uh, our impact on the footwear space, we have to focus on the rate limiting elements that are stopping footwear companies from innovating. And it turns out one of those big elements is last is the 3D shape that footwear companies use in order to determine the shape of their shoes. And if lasts are not shaped like feet, 
then the shoes that are created on those laps will not be shaped like feet. Mm. Um, so we started experimenting with 3D printing um, and printing like foot models, basically, which are kind of like peppered all around the office now. We got this like <laughs> copper looking one, which is kind of cool. Um, but they're shaped like feet. And, um, you know, if that is the rate limiting step before our company's evolving the shape of their shoes, then we want to help with that. And for me, it's play, right? Like I literally print pencil holders out of these things. These are all prototypes. I try and make use of them, you know, holders for feathers and just paint them and it's all play, right? And, but, you know, creating a system where there's a universal sizing metric where it's like all you need to know is how long and wide your foot is and you can find the shoe, the right shoe for you, the right size. Because right now there's like eight different sizing systems. None of them correlate with each other. They're mm. all different between all different brands and different countries. And it's like, it's a, it's a wild, wild west out there. It's like companies complain, shoe companies complain that they're getting a lot of returns from shoes that don't fit. Yet they do not use a reliable system to, to size shoes. So it's like, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. You have a shitty sizing system. Therefore, people don't have good luck sizing the right shoes. So that's kind of where we're going with it right now. And on the website, we have a tab that just says opportunities. So they're, things we've identified, spaces, uh, you know, realms of the footwear space that are in need of uh, solutions, that have problems that need to be solved. So, you know, footwear doesn't need to stink. It can be made to be breathable and non-absorbent. Um, you know, like protective footwear doesn't need to destroy your foot. They can be made to be protective and mobile, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to innovate, like, space-age technologies. Like, the materials already exist. They're, not, they're just not being used in footwear. So, it's really just like a, a hub, an innovation hub right now. And um, the physical product that we're making to sort of fund that work is the last. And so, um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it'll probably continue to change based on the people we speak to and whether or not people are actually buying these last. Um, we had our first last uh, sold like a couple weeks ago and shipped to the UK. And, you know, people can get people can send in a 3d model of their foot and get their feet printed. Like we can literally print it for them in whatever color they want in all these wacky things that we've done. You know, we got one that changes color underwater. We got one that's transparent, like all this cool shit. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just trying to do what we can to help change the world of footwork. Cause it's in, it's, it's a big opportunity right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't have the resources to start a footwear company from scratch, nor is that probably the best use of our resources. You know, we're more on the education side and spreading the word uh, to the world through our media um, platforms. But yeah, so that's the forward project right now. Will you keep um, making some shoes though, or or is that more just a bit bit of play and you you'll push the last more? Um, yeah, we still offer the FC point five at at yeah. and we'll keep selling them because people love them. We have a Korean division um, now, and they they love the FC point fives. Um, they actually did some interesting prelim data collection on um, like a foot pressure mat and they got people to walk in like Nikes and then they got people to walk um, in the FC point fives and the distribution and pressure points changed drastically so that they're, mm. you know, big surprise. Your foot doesn't get squished. Your foot is allowed to work a lot better. Um, they also did some comparisons of getting people to walk and then going on a beam and then getting them to walk again. And it turns out the foot gets mobilized and the pressures get, uh, evened out so there's no really big hot spots so the foot okay. becomes better at distributing pressure so just like cool stuff like that where we're still playing with it and ideally i'd like to just work with a big footwear company that's interested in making a commitment to change 
and help them make amazing products. Mm. Um, I don't care for TFC to be written on. I don't even care if it's disclosed to the public that we helped. It's just like, we want better shoes to be made. And, um, you know, we want to make ourselves available to any company wanting to do that as long as we can continue funding our work. So, yeah, that's no, great. That's a awesome project. It's so needed. Like, yeah, you and I both know that the four industries, it's a mess, but it's slowly starting to change. There's definitely some, um, yeah. some, some more functional type footwear available but like you said it's there's a long way to go and, and big opportunity and and needs to be spread on a much wider wider and bigger scale um for yeah. people to access um a lot more easily so have you anything else you'd like to kind of throw in there before we before we wrap up anything else you'd like to any tips for people that are starting out on this barefoot journey uh just take it slow and have fun and, you know, thank you, Paul, for doing this. I know it's really early for you in the morning. And, uh, you know, podcasts are a lot of work to do. You know, we have, we have a podcast as well. And they're not, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work involved. Uh, you don't really get compensated for it. Um, and so thank you for doing these. And, you know, spending some of your time and energy, you know, not in nature and not with your family to do things that help many people. So thank you for having me on. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And you can check us out at thefootcollective.com. And that's pretty much it. And social media, where can people find you? Uh, at The Foot Collective. And then we have a bunch of, like, we always have a lot of projects on the go, some of which are sort of like um, in idle mode. Some of them are kind of advancing. So we have the natural, right now, the big ones that are um, sort of, starting to get pushed into the spotlight to get more attention um, is, you know, we have our foot nerd program, which is we're going to be looking to scale up soon and get funding to create TFCU, which is like a, an online, uh, basically an online university focused on health um, that can yeah, really nice. help to change the way we teach health and, and how people learn health. Um, and natural podiatry is a project that we got going on and actually will, um, to like fill you in on that at some point if you're interested but that's yeah. starting to get a bit more attention mm-hmm. and then um yeah just keeping busy um with a lot of different things but those are the those are the primaries that are we're kind of working on and then we you know our product sales business where we retail natural footwear brands uh balance beams foot health accessories you know that's kind of the core that fuels um that allows us to pay our people basically so that they can do a lot of things that don't make money right away um, and still be able to support themselves and allow the company to continue to be viable. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's all online at thefootcollective.com? That is, uh, the products are tfchardgoods.com. So mm-hmm. any physical goods that we sell at TFC is from tfchardgoods.com. Um, but if you go to thefootcollective.com, that's turned into kind of like a master landing page so that you can see each project we're doing and get a link to their individual website if they've got one. Um, so that's probably the best place to go initially. And then actually our biggest, uh, thing on the go right now, which is really an effort to integrate all of our different communities, uh, into one common virtual space is, um, our new mighty network that we're creating. So it's, uh, if you go to www.tfcmighty.com, uh, anyone can join, um, you know, people answer like five questions, um, to apply to get in and doesn't cost anything, but basically that's, you know, I like to think of it as a virtual city we're creating where people from many different places of the world can gather and share 
ideas and perspectives and have good conversations. And, um, you know, it's all, it's all free. There's, you know, paid courses and stuff that'll be available there eventually. But, um, if you want to get involved into deeper conversations with sort of our, our community of foot nerds or, um, you know, engage with any of our product projects uh, on a deeper level, tfcmighty.com is the place to go. And we're actually only kind of announcing that this Friday, uh, right now is March 24th. So we're just, we've been building out this sort of platform for the past two or three weeks. And now we're going to start to invite people in. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about is to kind of, you know, take people away from these distracting centric platforms like Instagram or YouTube or Facebook and bring them into like a, a clean community centric platform, um, where we can facilitate discussions amongst people without always being directly involved or needing to be there. Um, you know, like just trying to foster conversations between like someone in Australia and someone in the UK that have similar issues can have a conversation. Um, yeah, it's more of that kind of guided, guided yeah. sort of health. Um, that's, that's an awesome platform. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, some of the noise of, uh, of the internet. Yes. So, yeah. Thank with, you the, um, with the products, do you ship worldwide? We do. And we actually have a big division. Our, our biggest division outside of Canada is actually in Australia. So yep. T, uh, TFC Shop Oz, AUS.com. Yep. Uh, they're actually offering a ton of workshops right now. And uh, they're doing really well. James and Mac down there are doing great work. So, yeah, we have divisions in um, I think I'm Spain. trying to catch up with James, actually, when he's, I think he's coming down this way at some point. Soon. Soon. Yeah. I think he messaged me. He was going to let me know when he was down this way, and we're going to try and cool. reconnect because that's been a couple of years as well. So. Right. Good, good yeah, we always again. try and set up domestic uh, distribution networks because, like, shipping things across the planet, especially things like balance beams, not very practical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that's all have, on your website, yeah, right? So, for people who are in different distribution, so for people like in different parts of the world, whether it's yep. Australia, England, wherever, you'll have people scattered around where they can get access to these beams. Yep. But are more likely. Yeah. Awesome. So if you haven't already, jump on, check out. I'll put links to um, to uh, underneath the show notes to all these links that Nick was just talking about, um, websites and, and social media links. So um, jump below. You can click into those links and, and explore all these projects and, and start looking into some of these info and, and jump on. Um, obviously, the social media is heaps of info uh, posted on there to help highlight the benefits of, of health um, and you can watch kind of what Nick and the team is up to. It's always fun to, to watch. You're a powerhouse when it comes to just creating these, these communities that, that bring like-minded people together. I think it's amazing what you've been doing over the well, many years now um, and seems yeah. to be evolving and growing and, and I love watching and, and kind of yeah, having these conversations with you. It's amazing. So thank you sure. for being on and, and hopefully people will take away some some magic information from this and and get motivated to go and jump on a beam. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.